Good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Probably a very familiar scripture to many of you. Uh, Pray that we can uh, say something this morning to help you uh, with your walk. I pray this morning if you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior that today would be the day that you would make a confession in Him and believe in your heart and be saved. Uh, If your walk with God is not where it should be, I pray that you would uh, grow closer. John chapter 2 was really intriguing to me over the course of this week as we were reading in our Bible, uh, yearly Bible readings, it really jumped out at me and I want to read the first 11 verses. So John chapter 2, we'll start reading in the first verse and it says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then they which is that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine unto now. This beginning of the miracles of Jesus did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you for the reading of your word. I pray, God, now that you would just move us out of the way, hide us behind the cross, anoint our mouths with the words, dear Heavenly Father, that you would have said this morning, nothing less, nothing more. I pray most of all, Father, for our receptive hearts, that we would receive this word that you have, and, and God, that we would just apply it to our lives and move outside these four walls into this community and seek those that are lost and, 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 and show them your son Jesus. I pray, God, that you would just strengthen us now for this and Keep us in your will so we don't get in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I began reading this, and I began, okay, this is Jesus' first miracle. Obviously, it, it tells us there, the beginning of Jesus' miracles, uh, there in verse 11, but it was odd to me as I was reading this, and it started out in the third day, and, I, and then my mind just started going all many different places, and I thought about on the third day, uh, the, the miracle of the third day after resurrection, and how Jesus rose, and how so many parallels of this. It says there was a marriage in Cana, and I, I begin, Jesus' miracles begin, at a marriage and at the end of time there's going to be a marriage, a great marriage supper in which those of us that are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ will meet him in the air for that marriage and and how we'll eat with him at that marriage supper and and I begin to think it was on the third day, it was after Jesus' baptism and his identification if you will, he knew who he was but he was ID'd, he was identified as the Lamb of God if you remember John had seen him coming while he was baptizing 
there in the river and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, the one that will wash away the sins. I, he said, I'll baptize you with water, but this is the one that I've been talking about that's on his way. So he has his identification now as the Lamb of God and, and you could think, you know, what a better place to, to start a miracle. Maybe a funeral. Maybe raise someone from the dead would be your first one, but that's not what, what God had in store as he called him to this wedding. We read the words that says that on the third day uh, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, I did a little bit of research. Normally, I don't necessarily get this deep into culture, but the culture of the, that time and that place, marriage was a big deal. Marriage not like we get married now and the bride and the groom run off to their honeymoon. No, when a marriage happens over there, they stay there for like a week. Their house is open for like a week for people to travel through. And, and the, the, the center focal point is not the bride. In that culture, it's the groom. And he foots the bill. He pays for everything. So this, this miracle is getting more and more clear as to why Jesus chose this marriage. I mean, you got to think, this man is now on the hook and he's out of wine. He's supposed to have enough supply to take care of how many of our guests are coming? And now he's run out. We don't know how many people are going to stop by, but he now has no wine. And we find that Mary's there. I don't know why Mary was there. Maybe it was someone she knew. Maybe it was a, a close family friend. Maybe it was a nephew. I have no idea. But she was there. She was invited. And, and the, the cool thing about it was, so was Jesus and his disciples. They were invited to this, this, this marriage supper, this wedding feast, and, and the Mary and, and Jesus and, and the disciples are all there. And Jesus' ministry is truly about to begin. And we see that this culturally difference with us, the groom being uh, the, the, the focal point, uh, the groom paying for everything, no immediate honeymoon, and now there is disaster. The wine is gone. So Mary says. Mary comes up and says they have no wine. And Jesus, and many of us today, another thing with the culture over there, if I were to walk up and call most of you woman, you wouldn't like that too much. But it was a term of endearment. Even from the cross, the same word translated into mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. It's the same root of the word, woman. And Christ was using this in a loving way. He's like, What's this got to do with us? What do we have to do with this? He's, he's the one that's supposed to have enough wine. And, and, and my hour's not come. I see Jesus is saying, but you know what? She thinks they're out of wine, but there's still a little bit left. It's not all gone. They still may have had a couple of dollars left to buy something. Uh, the, the help had, had not really done all that they had done. And Jesus is waiting for that moment to when all of it is exhausted because there can't be any trace of any wine anywhere because if he's going to turn water into wine, there's going to be a way that they can say, oh, there was another barrel left over here we forgot about. All of that was going to be taken care of because Jesus is about to open up his ministry. And we see the setting there in verses 1 and 2, this wedding. And they're called to this wedding. Now, I began to look at this and the purpose of this miracle. I actually had a conversation with, with a guy at work and, and he's a Catholic and he, he shared with me the Catholic teaching on this is that she was the Davidic queen, the mother of the king, Jesus being the king in line to take over the throne. She was 
that person and therefore she was kind of like in charge. I don't buy that one. Because Jesus is now staying in this particular scripture. He's saying, I know you're my mother. And I've looked up to you for many, many years. And you've taken care of me. But I'm a man now. And I'm going to enter my ministry as I see God wants me to enter this ministry. So many people would say that, that Jesus turned the water into wine because it was Mary's request. Because his mom, I mean, if my mom comes and asks me to do something, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to answer her request. So it was Mary's request. Um, and I got to thinking, you know, maybe she just asked because she was worried. Maybe it's not all quite gone. But she's worried that it's about to run out. How many of you, every time we have a church eating, are worried that the food's going to run out? So many people are going to, you're going to cook way too much, and, and then we're going to run out. There's not going to be enough. People are saying, we need to run to Walmart and get some more fried chicken. We need to go to Walmart and get some green beans. We need to get something. We're going to run out of food. And Mary may have been just like that. She may have been like many of us. Oh, we just don't have enough. But, but now the wine is out and there's no solution. And she goes and she says, son, the wine is out. They need wine. And, and Jesus says, but what does that have to do with me? I read that some believe that Mary was using this as an opportunity to say, you know, all those bad things they said about us, Jesus... Now's the time you can prove to them who you are and you can vindicate me. I don't believe that either. I don't believe it had anything to do with that. I believe Jesus was doing exactly where he was at and doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing by God the Father. And I don't believe that Mary is telling them what to do, but I do believe that Mary is hoping that he's going to do something. And she just lets him know that, hey, the wine's out. The wine is out. And Jesus' response is, how does this concern us? And, and, and you know, I love you, Mom, but this, my, my hour has not yet come. I, and what do you mean, we? I can hear Jesus. He says, son, we got to do something. we got to do something. And he's like, what do you mean, we? This doesn't concern me right now. This is not my hour. And we have to do something. We have to do something. Jesus is now this man that we spoke of. He's, he's grown. He's, he's 30 years old. He's entering into his, his ministry. He is the Messiah. And the only time we read in the Scripture of Mary requesting anything is at this wedding. From what I've read and what I've studied, she's never requested anything else. But she asked something of Jesus. And then she said these words. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Son, they're out of wine. Son, they're out of wine. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. An awesome statement based on who she knew who he was. She didn't know what he was going to do. She didn't know if he was going to do anything. But her hope and her faith in him was paramount with the words of do it. And today, many of us, we, we want Jesus to do something. We want him to move in our lives. We want him to, to take over a situation. We want him to just move us out and say, let me have control. Quit grabbing the wheel and let me have it. But many of us just will not. Do it. I've had struggles week after week, month after month, like many of you. And all I have to do is say, yes, Jesus. And then whatever he tells me to do, do it.
It's that easy, right? It's not always that easy. It's not always easy to be saved and not doubt. It's not always easy to be saved and to be forgiven and not sin. But with a heart set on whatever He tells me to do, I'm going to do it. What an awesome door that opens up for Him to work in our life. Mary knew. Mary knew the door was there. All she had to do was open it, and she opened it with those words. Just do whatever He tells you to do. He is the Messiah. But Jesus waited till the perfect time. He waited even in this situation. He waited till the most perfect time to act. He waited till every drop of wine was gone. He waited till there was no money to be found. He waited till the entire servant's help, all the help was exhausted. I can see them now. Just like many of you when you helped out here at the church and I'm thinking of that fall festival last year such a great thing many of us by the time 10 o'clock rolled around we were exhausted we were so tired we left things sitting out overnight because we just couldn't we didn't have the energy to move them and this is the perfect moment for Jesus to show who he is now as I sit and I think of this this small miracle I begin to think this miracle wasn't that small. This miracle was huge. Can you imagine the embarrassment of the entire family had Jesus not provided wine from the water? And the first thought came to my mind was Jesus is concerned with the small things. We've preached it. We've said it. We know Jesus is concerned with the small things. Things that we would consider non-essential, Jesus is concerned with them. Things that would, would embarrass us, Jesus is concerned with that. Your small things in life that you don't want to let Jesus have control of will eventually turn into the big things in life that cripple you. So when you think it's too small, remember Jesus said it's not too small. If it's even a wedding that ran out of wine, I want to be there to help you. I want you to call on me. Jesus is concerned with the smallest of our concerns. Lots of times, lots of times I'm real quick to say, you know what, that's a real big thing. I can't handle that. Jesus, you're going to have to take it. And I'm confident with letting Jesus have those big things because I know, right? I know there's nothing I can do. But it's those smaller things that I want to hold on to. And the more of those, the smallest things I keep holding on to. And then I'm just full of so many small things that I can just let Jesus have. Kids' grades at school. All these things that I, I, I let cumber me down. Christ wants to be involved. He wants to, to take those and He wants to perform a miracle in my life and in your life with the small things. So remember that. Today, if you leave here today uh, not hearing any other word that's been said, remember that God wants to be involved through Jesus Christ in your small things. Because what follows God being involved in the small things is most powerful because he'll take what's ordinary and make it wonderful. 
What's ordinary? I'm ordinary. I'm plain. I don't know much. Not very well educated. But I know that Jesus, according to this word, can take something very ordinary and make it wonderful. It says here in the scripture that there were six pots, right? Six water pots that were after the, the, the purification of the Jews. Now, when you look at these purification pots, in these times, and, and I hope at your house too, and I know I have this sometimes with my kids, I have to remind them, we're supposed to wash our hands before we eat. But the Jews took it to a whole nother level, right? They would take and they would get their hands and water from these pots, pour it on their hands, and then they would do this ceremonially thing like, my hands are clean, God, so is my heart. Look, my hands are clean. All is good, my hands are clean. And that's what these pots were used for. As the people would come in, they would take this because nobody wanted to eat with, with unwashed hands. And this water would be poured over their hands of the guests. And so Jesus took this, this water that was used for washing hands. And he made the best ever that the governor of the feast had tasted. The best wine ever from some hand-washing water. Now, if I give God my small things, he can do the same for me. He can take that hand-washing water in my life and he can make it into the greatest of miracles that anyone has ever seen. You know, it could be so much even greater than when he walked by and he touched the coffin of the guy and the guy rose from the dead. It can be just as great as... Just taking a little hand-washing water and turning it into the greatest... The greatest of miracles. Jesus took this, and that's what he did. He, he didn't... Now, now, it's amazing to me, because what we see and what's been given to us is he didn't go hocus-pocus, or he didn't go waving his arms much. It doesn't even say in the Scripture that he touched the water pot. All he said was, fill it up. So you're looking at 120 gallons of water, probably, in these things, combined. And he says, fill it up. And the next words, he's draw some out. He didn't say, taste it. He didn't say, look at it. He didn't say, dab. he didn't do you know, a little swirl with the wine glass and the sniff. He didn't say, do none of that. What he said was, take it and let them have some. I'm blown away. He at least had to say, Lazarus, come forth, right? He at least touched the coffin. In this case, he just says, get some. Take it and let them taste it. Now, this, this, is, this, is, this is what it, Jesus used these, these fallible, ordinary vessels to hold water, to wash hands, to make the greatest wine I bet you today has ever been tasted. If these wine tasters, whatever they do, could get some of that, it would blow their minds. It would just blow them away. Look at me and look at you. Look at your neighbor. The fallible vessels that sit in this church that God could create such a huge miracle in this community, in, in your homes, on your street. The miracle that could be seen in your life. And we're just number two in. Because God's concerned with the small things and He will take those ordinary small things and He will make them wonderful. And what comes out of that? 
with God, the best comes. Be very best, as the governor said, this is the best wine. Most people save the, the, the bad stuff for last because they've already drunk enough of the good, but now you have saved this for last. And I want you to know, the devil, your enemy, he's going to give you his best first. He's going to give you his best first. He's going to reach out. He's going to try to snag you. He's going to try to set the hook with his very best. And he wants you to take that. He wants to give you promises that he can't keep or that he never intends to keep. The devil shows you all his trinkets first to entice you. But with God, guess what? God may give you a little bit of a bitter cup first. He may give you a taste of conviction that you may know salvation. He will give you a little bit of conviction. And it's bitter to drink that conviction. But all the joy of salvation after the cup of conviction. He may let you drink a a cup of of loneliness. How bitter is loneliness. But when we know the loneliness, we can really grasp the presence of God. We may taste and drink of a cup of failure that we may remember His deity and how that He fails not. His mercies are new every day. New every day. They fail not. His compassion is so great. And we can see that from maybe a bitter cup that we've had to drink. A bitter cup of of present suffering that we may know that it's not worth comparing to the glory that awaits for us. Jesus drank the bitterest of cups but made the sweetest of wines. So for us, Jesus is concerned with our small things and He can make ordinary things wonderful and with Him you are going to get the very best. And God's provisions are always, always abundant. We read here what he did. 120 to 160 gallons of water. Seems a little bit of overkill, right? I don't know how big the wedding was. But I'm I'm guessing from what I've read, Cana would have probably only been about 500 people at the time. So it was a very small city on the outskirts of maybe another city, but God, through Jesus Christ, He took and made this miracle the best, but He also made it in abundance. Jesus created 120 plus gallons of wine. I'm sure it had to be enough. I believe it was enough Going back to my previous thought of the embarrassment and the financial burden that would have been on this young couple, now they have enough of the greatest wine ever created that they can bottle it and sell it. They can finance the wedding. They can finance the first year or so of their marriage while they get their feet settled, while they're getting everything settled in. Now God has only took this miracle, and the miracle is now abundant. And knowing this, I question myself, how will I respond? How will I respond? The ruler in verse 9 said that when he had tasted the water that was made wine, 
he and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. <laughs> I just had a thought of, of God calling Jesus and talking about me. Look what the miracle we just did with him. Look what a miracle we just did with him and her and him and her. Look what we just did. But it says that the, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine unto now. Jesus is ready for the world to see the good wine in each and every one of us. He is ready for us to just turn it over and to say, here it is, here it is, my Savior, here it is, my Lord. Show the world. If we can only get to a place where we can respond, as it says in verse 11, and his disciples believed on him. And his disciples believed on him. Let me see. They just started following him. He had just called them. Just simple fishermen and, and simple men. He had just started calling them and they were following him. And this miracle, this miracle emboldened their faith. As simple as it was, a wedding that ran out of wine, that Jesus, who was invited to come and enjoy, to eat, to enjoy this wonderful celebration, but turned out being so much more and what his, what his purpose was there. So they just started following this, this miracle and, and Jesus' ministry and the things that they would see from here on out depended on their faith. They believed in Jesus. If they did not believe in Jesus, when he said, follow me, they would not have moved. They would still be casting nets they would still be collecting taxes. They would still be doing those things that they were doing. But now, now, the Bible says they believed on Jesus. They believed on Jesus. What about you? What about me? What can we give to God and let Him work that we see is so small? Often I sit at work and I'm trying my best to figure something out and it just will not work and I can stop and I can say Jesus I need help and he's faithful even in my mundane tasks of my job he's faithful in my mundane task of keeping the house up all the small things that we need and we hold on to, Jesus wants them. I want to encourage you today to not hold on to the small things in your life that you think are irrelevant or don't need that much attention. Because Jesus wants to move in them. And the more we let Jesus move in the small things, the more faith is built and we can let him move in the larger things. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.
for this word. Father, we know we've never learned how to preach. I pray that we never do. But I pray, Father, that we were able to to say something, to touch someone here today. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for saving me. I pray now, Father, if there's one here that doesn't know you in the free pardon of sin, that today would be the day. Father, I pray that you knock those doors. I pray that when we begin to sing, Father, if there's one here that that needs to come and just cast something small at the foot of the cross and let you work a, a mighty, mighty miracle that today, this moment, this hour, they would do so in faith. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that I might be saved. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your love of me. Thank you for taking my words to the Father. Just right. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.